Welcome to this Kingdom Faith Yorkshire podcast from the August family holiday. This talk is by Brian Blackrock. Well, welcome. Welcome you. The, the, I was really excited, but you know, some Kingdom Faith, you know, kind of regulars turned up like 15 minutes early to get their seat. You know, I was just, and then they left again. So it was kind of, <laughs> yeah, but no, all right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, all those years of my family, I, always sitting in the same seat, getting there 20 minutes early, just to, and then they put the worship on for half an hour, and they had to get even 20 minutes even earlier. So, Anyway, lovely, great that you, 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 you patriots and stalwarts are sheltering from the rain. So let us pray, because, and then I'll explain why I've called this modeling in the mud. And then, and then, Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege we've got now, just these minutes together just to uh, think about uh, just how we can get to know your son a little bit better. Father, we pray this time would be an encouragement in that sense. We want to see Jesus. We don't want to just get new stuff, new knowledge, uh, fill some notes in a, in a notebook, if that's our thing. We want to see Jesus. We want him to be honored. Lord, we want to be encouraged to follow him. I want to be encouraged to follow him you know, the, for the rest of my life. So, Lord, just take, I pray, we offer this to you. Would you be pleased to be here to bless us? And please by your, give us your Holy Spirit to communicate, but also to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I call it Modeling in the Mud because Alex asked me for a title for seminar, and I was just, and I was thinking about the potters and things at the time, and I was thinking about Jesus getting his hands dirty, and that's where it came from. So I'll read you a poem, um, if that's all right. Because in the front of my Bible, I have a poem that I stuck in there years ago. And it's very special to me. I use it as in my Bible study when I'm doing character studies. And it says this, when, uh, you might know it. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to take a man to play the noblest part, how he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world will be amazed. Watch his methods, watch his, his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects who he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks, whom his good he undertakes. How he uses who he chooses, and with every purpose fuses him to try, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, watch his methods, watch his, his ways. We have a wonderful potter who wants to take this, these rough pieces of clay and make them into something of noble use in his house. So, that's my thing. So what I want to share with you today, and I'm, I'm quite comfortable. If, you, if I asked my, the man who discipled me many years ago, um, what were my spiritual gifts? You know, did, did I have any particular spiritual gifts? Because in those days you were taught you had one, and you had to do a Bible study for us. You had to find out what your gift was. And I was hoping it wasn't celibacy at the time. <laughs> Uh, or philanthropy, you know, because I was, I was a student, I was broke. And he said, that's easy, Brian, your gift is the gift of confusion. And um, so I've been using that gift ever since. So anyway, and now I've realized, God, I've 
got loads of them. So it's, it's brilliant. And uh, thanks. So, intro. Sometimes we can get into a thinking that to be a good Christian, a model disciple, a mature disciple in the faith, you have to demonstrate that to the body of Christ by almost, you know, jumping through all the hoops that you're offered. You know, you've been on all the courses. You've read all the best books, the latest books. You've got the latest CD. I mean, I, I, I can be sure I didn't realize Darlene Check is no longer at Hillsong. I mean, that's, you know, it was a shock to me. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, but you, you've read the right books. You've been to the best conferences. I've been to Kingdom Faith 48 times and it's only been running 36 years. Um, you've heard the best speakers. You've you've volunteered for every activity there is going in the church and you've almost burnt out. You've completed a number of programs. You've done Alpha, you've done 40 days of purpose and 60 days of relaxing and, and all the things that come out. Somehow, do you know what I mean? You can, it's almost like we can get into this idea that in order to be a good Christian, you just have to do all the right stuff. And part of the reason is, is this stuff is good stuff. There's nothing wrong. I have been, I've done most of that, you know. Um, you know, I've studied the Greek and I've been on conferences and, you know, yeah, I've, got, I've listened to Darlene Check and whoever's... I haven't listened to the new ones because I'm a classic FM man now. But there's nothing wrong with all those things. They are very helpful. And in fact, to be involved in a church community... The church, it, it has to function by having a program, a series of, of activities like services and things and conferences that they put on. These things are great. I'm not decrying them. But we can slip sometimes into thinking that our Christian life is just one, it's an endless thing of do, do, do. Have you been there? And then we wonder why, you know, I, when I was thinking, considering becoming a Christian 46 years ago, I was put off because Kath had come to Christ and she was taking me to church and I noticed that the average retirement age for men in the church was 35. They seemed to be very keen in their early years and around about the age of 35, they were so sick and tired, of, they wanted to get a life and bring up their kids and develop their own. They were just so burnt out by activities that they stopped and they just sat there and they just sat on the pews and did nothing. And just, well, they usually complained about the sermon or whatever. And I thought, if I'm going to become a Christian and retire at the age of 35, I'm not even going to bother. Why, why do 15 years and then quit? It has to be for the whole of life. But these things are really important. You know, a church needs, a community needs that kind of activity, and we have to find how we serve in the right way in that. But, I, but today, this, this afternoon, what I want to share with you is, is another side. There are two sides and aspects to, to, to living the Christian life. It's important to do, but, the, but the, very, the, the most important is to be. It's a relationship. It's relational living. And that's what Paul has been bringing out this week about, about a relationship with Jesus, being at, uh, you know, finding out where Jesus is home and knocking on his door. And that's what we go, I'm going to focus on entirely today, okay? A relational view. In other words, who you are in Christ, not what you're going to do in Christ. I am going to challenge, I hope, um, that, that's free. You know, you, I can't, but, uh, but I want to challenge you in an encouraging way. I'm praying that this will build you up and, in, and encourage you uh, and do some things. Now, 
if you, I hope you've got your Bibles handy. I want you, if you have, could you please turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1, and find verse 14. There are, I used to say this is one of my favourite verses, and then I realise I have thousands of favourite verses. But there are certain verses in the Bible which are pivotal verses, indispensable scriptures if we want to understand the theme and the purpose of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 would be one in, ter uh, uh, if, uh, in terms of the new life in Christ, what it means to be a new believer. John 1.14, I believe, is uh, for the, the engineers and physicists, it's, it's the fulcrum verse. You know, the, the thing in the, on the seesaw, it's the fulcrum verse of the Bible, in my opinion. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father. Now you know how old I am. That was the Revised Standard Version. Um, and the Word became flesh. Oh, and made his dwelling, his home among us. And we have seen his glory. I think this is the wonderful verse. This is the verse that links. The whole of the Old Testament was rushing towards this moment in history. And the whole of the New Testament flows out from this verse, this scripture. It marks that moment in time when, when time had reached its fullness, as it says in um, Galatians chapter 4, when God sent his son into the world, he became human. It's the most amazing and you know, important point in history. God stepped into human history as a person. Jesus. And this verse focuses on two things that God did, that, Jesus, that in Christ two things happened. The first thing that happened was, is what the theologians call the incarnation. God, the logos, the very word and essence, the truth, the expression, the, the fullness of what God is, always has been, became human. Jesus became a human being, just like us. Not just like us in one sense, because he, he became the human being that we should be. He became perfect humanity. He became the, the humanity that was going to model to the rest of us what we could be. And I think, if you've ever read the book The Shack, I recommend it. If you, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough going. But one of the things I loved in the, verse, the book The Shack was the way that the author brings out how special it is to be a human being made in the image of God. What worth, what value, what dignity, what special place that it is to be, a, to be a human. And it was all in Jesus. And he came so that we could look at him because he modeled it. We could see him and we could see that's what it means to be human. That's what it means to, be, to, be, to, to live a, a proper life. I want to be like that. That's called the incarnation. He lived a life for us to see. And he incarnated it. He lived in it. And that's part of our job as Christians these days, to live a life that people can see. But, it, there, was a, but there was a second thing. Jesus just didn't come and live in this amazing palace. You know the journey from the stable of Bethlehem. From the, he took upon himself the, the lowest form of a servant and, and lived that life among us. He identified. He, didn't just, he just didn't come and say, you know, here I am, the superstar, look at me. He lived among us, as Paul was saying, he made his home 
among us. And home is a really important word. He made his home among us. He got his hands dirty in our world. That's what's wonderful about Jesus. He lived in, in, his, in the context. He, got, he crossed the bridge to come to where we were. He didn't say, I'm over here. If you want to find me, be this holy person and cross over. He came to us. He lived it out. John, in his gospel, in this gospel, in chapter 1, he records his first ever meeting with Jesus. It's a brilliant meeting. I mean, John is, and his buddy Andrew are following a man called John the Baptist. The, John's, if you, it seems like John's family dad's business was quite good. I think they were quite prosperous. They had contacts in, in Jerusalem and things. They were quite well connected. And John and Andrew were obviously on a, an, a paid leave or something from the fishing business in Galilee. They joined John the Baptist, this amazing prophet of God, this, the, the spirit of Elijah on this man, the greatest man born of woman, Jesus says, this amazing guy. They're with John the Baptist. And one day... Um, Jesus is walking past and John the Baptist comes out with this stunning phrase. Look, at there is the Lamb of God who is going to take away the sins of the world. And John and Andrew think, oh, I'll have a piece of that. And they leave John the Baptist, this incredible, fiery preacher and things, you know, locust-eating superstar. And they follow Jesus and they go up to Jesus and John asks him, do you know what? John asks him a brilliant question. Does anybody know what he says? Brilliant question. He says, where are you going? Do you know what Jesus says? No, he says, come and have a look. Come and see. And they go and have tea together. They go to, it says they went to the place where he's staying and had tea. That changed John's life. For the next three months, Jesus take, John had a good look. Jesus took him to a wedding. He took him, to, he had a, you know, an interesting conversation with a, a lady by a well, with a, a, a Pharisee who comes at night. There was all, they go into all sorts of adventures together for three months before he goes back to Galilee um, and tells his brother Pete and waits for Jesus to come. He says, come and see. Forty years later, John writes his first letter. One John, we call it. He wrote three. <laughs> it's very interesting. One, number two, and number three. You know, couldn't get a title. But he writes one John. Does anybody know how one John, the first three verses of, of one John, chapter one, starts? Yeah, that's, well, yeah, you've just summarized three verses into about <laughs> half of it. But that's right. That which was from the beginning... In the beginning was the word. Was God. That which was the mean, the logos, what our eyes have seen, what our hands have touched. I mean, he didn't put the rest of it, but we smelled, you know. This is what I'm going to tell you about. Because I've, we've seen the glory of the, of the begotten Son. And I want to share the, what, I, what I've experienced of Jesus with you so that you can have the same experience, that your fellowship will be with us and with the Father. Forty years later, John said, let me tell you what I saw. That's the journey that we're on. Jesus lived his life out in full view of everybody, so that we could see his relationship with God. We know how he prayed. We know 
you know, these guys saw what it was like on the road, what it was like on the campfire at night, what it was like, you know, when the crowds had gone, when he was with the crowds. They, they saw everything about his life. And they saw his love for people, his compassion, his anger, his righteous anger at the, the wrongs that people were doing to others. They just saw the whole gamut of Jesus' life. And so that's the pattern we follow. That's what it means to be... When Jesus came up to these men and said, come follow me, and I'll make you... It literally means come and walk in my dust. You know, let my life just splash you with whatever I'm getting. You know, just get the whole thing. It's not an invitation to a conference. They're great. Jesus held conferences. You know, he, he sort of the catering out, you know, at conferences... You know, he, you know, they sat them down and, you know, he got the disciples learned how to sit them down in blocks of 50 uh, at a time. You know, he, get, he gave the message. I'm sure they had worship. Um, they definitely saw the, the outliving of the cross to come. He would break bread and bless it in front of them and things. But it was come follow me, have this relationship with me. Now, Paul last night, has been, was speaking on Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Sorry, just to embarrass you all publicly. Anybody remember what that? Yeah, but you're, you're one of the pastors. You have to know that. <laughs> I mean, you know, otherwise... Uh, uh, Brian Ward got it right, Paul. Just make a note there. That's okay. <laughs> Next time. Okay. Jesus is at home, and the crowds are gathering uh, outside the door. Where's home for Jesus these days? John 14, 21 and 23 almost say the same thing. Jesus says, whoever has my word, my commands, and keeps them, he is the one, or they are the one, who love me. And I too will love them, and I will come to them, and I'll make my home with them. Verse 23 says, and my father will love them and we will come to him and make our home with them. Home with Jesus. Jesus these days take, likes to take up home inside our heart. It's within. It's not a place. It's, in, it's within you. You can be Christ's home. Turn to John 15. If you would. Possibly one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Possibly. I wrote my devotional diary based on it. It's all about I am the vine. It's about the story. You know, I am the vine. My father is the gardener. Every branch of mine that bears fruit, I purge it, prune it, so it be even more fruitful. Just have a look at, just skim, read through the first, up to about verse 11 is the first big paragraph. There is one phrase repeated probably about 15 times in those 11 verses. Anybody see what it is? And it's not, if you're a pastor of Kingdom Faith, you're not allowed to speak. Abide in Jesus or abide in me. Okay? Somebody might have it as a different phrase. That, that's an older version. Remain in me is in the newly indispensable version. Yeah, remain in me, abide in me. What does remain in me what does it mean to abide? What does abide mean? Live in. Where? 
Where do you abide? If, if, if you got a census, the, the national census letters through your door, and where it says, where do you abide? What, is, what, what do they want to know? They want to know your home, where you live. Where you abide is where you live. So what Jesus is saying in John 15 is, make your home in me, and I will make my home in you. That's what the Christian life's all about, isn't it? Being at home. If you ever get a chance, read the, the writings of Henry Nouwen. He, he, he's, he's written loads of, he wrote a number of books on being at home with Jesus. It's just, it, it, they were, they're wonderful. But being at home with Jesus. Paul talked about Jesus being at home. Well, actually, what's your home like for Jesus to live in? Is the question. When we get to Scarborough, yes. yes, and we've bought our new house, and Birmingham, well, yeah, but we're moving to Scarborough, but, but, but Birmingham, there's, there's a man needs faith. But, um, but apparently, it's on the news this morning, you know, it's the, it's the most accessible city by train in Britain. Sorry for you that live in Liverpool, because that was the worst, apparently. But anyway. But when we, get our, when we get, eventually get our next home, we will move our stuff, our furniture, into it. But we'll start doing things to it because we'll want to make it our home. You know, it, it might be painted in a way that was the previous person's style, and we'll slap some other paint on it. You know, I'm a gardener, there'll be things that we'll do in the garden. That we'll do it to put our mark on it, to make it our home. Because, I don't know about you, I love home to me. Uh, it's because we used to travel a lot. Coming home is just a very special thing. I like to just get home and just go, <laughs> you know, I, I like I can be me, I can relax. It's the place I like to entertain friends. It's like the place we, 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 can, we have good memories. Homes, especially, um, if you haven't got that kind of home, come and stay with us when we're in Scarborough. But home is special. So ask yourself the question, what is my home like for Jesus to come and visit? As a young follower, as a young believer in the early 1970s, when I came to Christ in 1973, in a thing called the Jesus People Movement, which I didn't realize at the time, I was taught later, that's what it was, but I can... When I came, I made a decision in those early years that I wanted to follow Jesus as, as fast as my legs could run. I, I didn't want to be, I wanted to be all out. It was like all or nothing. I read all these biographies, you know, it's better to burn out than rust out and all these, you know, some of these Murray McShane and, some, and the, the Cambridge Seven and all these. And I wanted to be all out for Jesus. But I realized that I knew, I came, I was a blank slate. I was a pagan who became a Christian very quickly. I had zero, I, was, I knew nothing. Um, I, my conversion prayer was, oh God help. And I had been praying, <laughs> using that prayer every day ever since. And then God filled in all the gaps. But I made a decision that I wanted, the most important thing in my life had to be getting to know Jesus as much as I could. So I made a decision that I would begin every day of my life, the first thing I would do is make a cup of tea, because I'm British, and the second thing I'd do, I would sit down with Jesus before I did anything else. I have a match of the day mug, which is pushing 30 years old now. 
it's a pint because my brain is fog on the morning and I make my match of the day mug for me and I make a cup of tea for Kath, take her cup of tea and then I go up to my study. Sounds posh, doesn't it? The converted loft. And I sit down and Jesus and I have a, have a cup of tea together every day. Last night, Kath said, you're not going to do it this morning. I, yes, I did. This morning, I spent some time. I'm a, a saddo. I'm very, you know, things. I have a journal. It's called, What's in the, I wrote it myself. A man called Brian Abel, Paul's dad. It was the first job he got when he became a printer. He, he, he left his work, set up, became a Christian printing business, and this was the first thing he ever printed. This is, this is a Canadian version. But he printed 2,000 of them, because I thought I was going to live forever, and I needed one every year. But I, every morning, every morning, I get along with Jesus, spend some time, and I journal. I'm, that's the way it, it works for me. I'm a journaler. I, you know, I, I write my little thoughts. This morning was Isaiah 44. No, this morning was Isaiah, sorry, Isaiah 62 this morning and to 64. And that was this morning's thoughts. But I made that decision that every morning of my life, I'll begin the day because I wanted Jesus to be in my home. I wanted Jesus to be the center of my home. Does that make sense? Yes. How do you start your day? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, is it Radio 4? Or... Whatever, or is it catching up on 5,000 Facebook things that seem to have come through in the night? Or do you start your day with Jesus? I like to try and finish my day with Jesus. Now, that's not always, you know, it doesn't work out as well. I'm, I'm a more of a mornings than an evening. That's, it works for me. Some people are better. I'm, and I've learned over the years to find what helps me connect with the Lord best. Um, just to let you know, it's, it's, it's book plug time. I wrote a little booklet on how to help people start that regular time with Jesus called Time Out With God. I know some people in the church have, can use it. If it helps, £1.50. It's, not, it's three, £3. Huh? It's £3 on Amazon, so it's, but anyway, but special. But I made a decision that I, I wanted to know this book. So I set my heart to study I found easy, started off very easy little question and answer type studies, but, but over the years learned to do Bible study. You know, and, because, and I still do. Uh, I could, nowadays, I'm doing my rabbit trail Bible I call them rabbit trail. God gives me an idea, and I just I kind of follow the rabbit trail through the scriptures. Um, I'm doing one at the moment. On, uh, I've got a fascination, a life study now on the mystery of God because of the things that have happened in our life. So it's, it's just my fun one, as well as the ones I do for my job. I read the Bible through. Do you know if you read three chapters of the Bible a day, three chapters, you'll read the whole Bible in a year. Now, I mean, the first time I read the Bible through, I felt so proud of myself. I gave myself, like, like the scout badges, I wish I'd got a badge for Bible reader. And then I realized I still didn't understand any of it. So I read it again. Forty years later, I'm still reading the Bible through, and I'm getting, I know where all the books are now, and I know a few things, but I find it just helps. So, and I have, a, in the front of my diary, I have a reading plan, which I go through and I tick it off. If, you, if that would help you, one pound. 
It's a great thing. You know, the thing, I, when, there's, when there are verses in the Bible that really, sometimes, you know, it's like God puts his finger on something and you, and you think, whoa, that's a very special verse for me. The guy who was discipling me said, Brian, what's the point of having friends if you don't know where they live? So I memorized them. And I just love it. Just let you know, in his early years, as a, as, as a follower of Jesus in our group, he refused to memorize scripture. Because everybody else, all his other mates were doing it. So he decided, I'm not going to follow the crowd. I'm not going to memorize scripture. And about five years, six years later, the Lord spanked him. And he started to memorize it. And then he made a point, whenever I'd go and visit him preaching at Elohim Church, and he'd quote this verse, then he'd go, Brian, that's one of those verses, isn't it? You know, now he's, you know, now he's like, now it's okay. Now he tells me off, so it's, I can get, I'm just getting, can you remember that? He's a little terror. I love this guy, by the way. Just, uh, but, yeah. I, I have the privilege of, I meet up most weeks with a man called Steve. Steve, you want to find out a bit about Steve? It's in my other book. Blatant book. But Steve came to faith in, in our Alpha course in 2016. I was, I was running. Left school at 16. Not many qualifications. Calls himself an ordinary bloke. We meet up each week. Steve's life has been transformed. His, family, his, his daughter's come to Christ. His wife's come to Christ. There's healing going on in the family as this man meets with Jesus every morning and, 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 and the change happens. This year, after we've been meeting for nearly five years, Steve decided he was going to start to memorize some of the verses, the promises that, that meant something to him. First verse he learned, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things in and through Christ who gives me strength. When he quotes that verse to me, he always quotes it in, in tears. And he said to me, these are not normal verses, are they? <laughs> the certain, I said, yeah, it's from here, not from here. What, you know, if God has given you some of the verses, because, you know, he's, he's, um, I, because of the, the situation in his family, I, I gave him um, Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom, there'll be no fruit in the vine, there's no produce on the field, the flocks be cut off the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's the second verse he learned. His, he, he blew his small group, you know, his, his little midweek cell group in our church apart. You think, wow, where's this guy get Habakkuk? Where's that? How does he get, you know, but actually, he did it because actually his life has been devastating in the things that he's gone through, in the, in the brokenness in their family. And yet, he's, his family is changing because he can, God has come into the midst of it. So let me encourage you. Part of being a follower of Jesus, getting, making your home with Jesus, is when he speaks to you, think, hey, lock it away there. This is a special promise. I have... I, they, they, they give you life and breath. If your word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction, said the psalmist in Psalm 119. So get them in there, okay? And I make a point of sharing. I, you know, when I spend time with Jesus every morning, I've got an opportunity to share it with somebody. Hey, do you know, do you know what Jesus said to me this morning over a cup of tea? What, you talk to Jesus? on Yeah, can I tell you? It doesn't matter who they are. I've had some great conversations. 
I have the privilege of meeting with some of the with four ministers of some of the four of the most influential churches in our city, and I meet with them to mentor in a kind of a mentoring role. And when they come, they all know that the first thing we do is I'll say to them, "And what did Jesus say to you this morning when you got up?" I don't want to know what you're preaching on Sunday. I know you're working hard on the sermon. I don't want to know what you're doing with the, the elders or the PCC. What did Jesus say this morning? It, the, in the early days, you know, these guys, have, I mean, lead big churches. Boy, it was a shock for them the first few times. Because for some of them, they weren't. Met with my, my vicar. <laughs> oh, we go to an Anglican church. Our vicar, John, is wonderful. He's, he's a, he leads a thing called New Wine. Leads our church. Uh, he's on the synod. Um, he's a big flyer in the church of England. We get in this habit now, so we're meeting. We, we met last time, and I made a point of not asking him. And we're going through it, and he, it's an hour, and then he's gone. You know, we have to, you know, busy man. And we get up to 50 minutes, and he's, and he's shaking. He's, his legs are twitching on the seat. And I'm watching him, and, he, and then he said, uh, I said, look, John, we need to finish. This is great. Thanks for the time. And he said, you haven't asked me yet. You haven't asked me. I said, I haven't asked you what, John? He said, you haven't asked me what, what Jesus said to me this morning in my, in, my, in my time with him. I said, I know. I said, John, just out of interest, did you have some time with Jesus this morning because you were meeting with me? Or did you have some time with Jesus because you were meeting with Jesus? I said, there's a big difference. And he went, you know, this, this guy, <laughs> I love this guy, he's awesome. And he went, can I be honest? I said, yeah. He said, it's both. <laughs> I said, that'll do me. At least we're 50-50. Next time, make it 75-25, Jesus, and then we'll get it. And, and do it. Why? Because actually, these guys are so busy working for God, they sometimes miss out on getting that personal time with God. And I tell you, it's the most important thing that you'll do in your Christian life. So if I want to, I want to encourage you this morning, make your home with Jesus. And the way your home will be, will be uniquely yours. I'm a Bible pen notebook, thinky type guy. Kath isn't. I meet with a guy called Pete, who is a worship leader. I tried to get him to sit down with a Bible pen notebook, and it was killing him. He gets bored with some, you know, things very quickly. He came to me one morning, and he said, really embarrassed, we were meeting up one night, and he was telling me about his time with Jesus, and he said, I don't know if this, is, this, if this counts, he said, but he said, I was looking through this passage this morning because we were reading the same passage together just so I could make life easier for me if I get them doing the same one as me. And he said, I, I couldn't write anything down. He says, but then this tune, this song came into my head, this tune, and I sang the scriptures back to Jesus because he's a worshipper. I mean, he's a brilliant musician. And I said, and I said how was the day? He said, it's been one of the, it was one of the best days at work I've had, he said, I was just focused on God throughout the whole day. I said, well, I said, Pete, sing your song. And he gets, well, but the annoying thing is, I said, I said, you have a problem though. When you start meeting with somebody else, because I've got him helping somebody else now one-on-one. -on -one. And I said, if you sit them and say, well, I want you to sit down with the Bible and then I want you to compose a song and sing it back to Jesus, you're in trouble, mate. I said, if you sat me in a room with Beethoven for six months, one of us would come up with a symphony. The other one would be just sitting like an idiot, and that would be me. 
but you find he's found his way of intimately being at home with Jesus. We're all different. Kath sometimes listens to like a Dominican, is it, are they Dominican? Praise you go. Ignatian thing. And, you know, looks at stained glass windows and, well, you know, some people are creative and arty. So, whatever. It doesn't matter. You find that conversation because Jesus is like that. Come, my beloved. Let us go forth into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early into the vineyards and see if the vines have budded, if the fig trees are in blossom and the pomegranates are in bloom. And there I will give you my love. So I, I, every morning I go, what's in the vineyard, Lord? Is there a twig? Is there anything unblossoming? Is there anything dying? Have the rabbits eaten something? There's always something different. So find your journey, okay? I need to move on. You're holding me up, you guys. Does, that make, does this make sense? Yeah. I want to encourage you. The journey is being at home with Jesus. The exciting thing was when you're at home with Jesus. Do you notice what happened in Mark 2.1? Crowds came outside. Jesus didn't put a sign up, you know, or it wasn't in the local kind of, you know, the Capernaum echo. Jesus is at home between 6 and 8.30 tonight. Anybody who would like a clinic, please turn up. They just came. The word got out, the noise as Paul used. I find that when you make your home with Jesus, the people turn up. You sometimes, I remember sitting in a little house in Barlston in Leicestershire with Paul and Kate. They hadn't been married too long. It must have been nearly 30 years ago. I can't remember. Certainly, and Paul and Kate, Paul was teaching. Uh, it was little Dan. It was Dan, he was probably born then. We, and we started having a discussion. How... They had a heart to reach the people of the village of Balston. How do we reach these people? How will we form them into a little community of faith? And so we prayed about it and we said, well, why don't you invite them into your house? This house is church. This house. Jesus is, lives here. Jesus is in you. Why don't you bring him in? And they started. That's what you started doing. An Elohim church started. And when, he got, when the house wasn't big enough, you, you used the village hall. And it became, a, it became a, you know, Elohim church in that community. But we started, why? Because invite people, just come. How will the people turn up? God will send them. And Jesus will send people into your life when you have him in the center in your home. You'll think, where did they come from? And they'll turn up and, and, and be careful because sometimes they'll turn, they can end up turning up in the hundreds. So, you know, because there's loads of people out there who are desperate to see. And when a light shines in the darkness, they, you know, like moths, they'll head for it. And you'll think, where did that happen? Anyway, how are we doing? What time do we finish? How many? Three or four minutes. Can you just whack up a, that thing for me, please? When you followed, when Jesus is that intimate person in your life, and your home is with Jesus, the next stage is be one and then make one. This is too good to keep to yourself. We are all ministers of the gospel, Paul was telling us about this morning. We're all priests of the kingdom of God. I did this study a few years ago. I used to hate that. I used to call it the chair. <laughs> this is, I did a study a few years ago on how did Jesus train the 12? 
uh, if you want this later on, this is written, it's my handwriting. I write in tongues, so sorry. But, um, <laughs> but that, in John's Gospel, Jesus comes on. They say, where are you going? He says, come and see. And they journeyed for about three, four months, and they saw what he did. Went to a wedding, went, you know, met Nicodemus, met the woman at the well. They did all these kind of things. And then he sent them back to their boats. And he said, I'm coming. Think about it. And then there was a day, around about Mark 1, 14 to 20, Matthew 4, 19 and 20, around about there, Jesus came and said, come, follow me. And that's a different point. They then, they left and followed. And for about the next 10 months, they just followed. They learned important things like how to control crowds, how to break bread and fish and, and feed the multitudes. They, they did the physical, they learned the stuff and while Jesus and observed Jesus at his ministry. And after about 10 months, I'm going through this really quick, so, but this is one of the things I'd like, the journey I'd take, I'll take some of you on when we come to Scarborough. After about 10 months, Jesus went up and spent a whole night in prayer. Now, you just imagine what a whole night in prayer is like for Jesus. He used two words to still a storm. He used two words to raise somebody from the dead. He spent a whole night praying about the men who would be his well, that's serious business. If the Son of God takes a whole night to pray, that's an eternity. He spent a whole night and he said, come be with me, not follow me. Matthew 9, uh, Matthew 9, about 36 to 38. He called to him the 12 that they might be with him and be sent out. And Matthew 10 starts with the mission of the 12. He sends them out to start doing what he'd been doing. Simple stuff. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cast out demons, preach the good news of the kingdom. Nothing tricky. And for the next 20 months, you can follow this in the Gospels. You can work it out in the four Gospels. For the next 20 months, that's what they're doing. This is the serious being with him and being sent out. Towards the end of it, he's changed. he starts talking about the cross. After the transfiguration and the heading... He starts talking about the real cost of discipleship. You can see the change in what Jesus is saying. Until you get that incredible moment of, the, of, the, of his, the resurrection of Jesus and what Paul was saying last, last night, he gives them the great commission. John 20, 21, Matthew 18, 28 to 20, Josh, uh, Acts 1, 8. It's in all, um, Mark 16, 15. It's in all the Gospels. It's in, where's Luke? It's Luke, Luke 24. The great commission, it actually runs through the whole Bible. And he says, Go into all the world. Oh, and by the way, I'll go with you. Come and see. Come follow me. Now, I'm putting that up, if you like it. Ask yourself, where, I, ask my, I use it in two ways. Where am I on my journey? There are some things I'm still learning to just have a look and see in my Christian life. I need to see, you know, see Jesus healing the sick and, and sorting out the mess in the world. Sometimes, there's things like, where, where am I following in my discipleship? What are some of the things I need to do? Putting my house in order. Where are some of the things I need to actually step out of my comfort zone and do? Come and be. And where are some things I need to go? Does that make sense? But I also, when I'm meeting with people, I'm always asking the question, where are they? Where are they on the journey? How can I help them move along? Any questions? I've done that in three minutes. So I'm, does that make sense? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I wasn't, you're not confused. Oh, I've just 
See, God's overridden my gift, you see. So. Huh? Jesus took it really seriously. Yeah, I mean, I think he'd be praying for a lot longer than that. He just he needed to. I think it was like, let's just clarify this. Let's get, Lord, have I got, Father, have I got this right? Yeah? That makes sense. You've been a lovely, quiet audience. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.